Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we're the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. Hey, and today, hey, <laughs> <laughs> we're always looking at each other like, wait, who's going to talk first? Um, we are going to do a part two to the Q&A episode because it seems that you all loved that and it's really fun for us to do too. It's so fun for us to do and I always feel better being able to answer these questions in like a podcast format because it's hard to do answers on stories. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. there's so much more to say than what you can put into a story. So um, we're just going to get right into it with this episode. Let's go. All right. How about you ask one of your questions first? Okay. Someone asked, how do you manage or deal with burnout? Did you ever push back growing up? I'm guessing that one was um, directed towards me a bit, but I think we can both speak to burnout. Mm -hmm. So I've said this before, but I feel like I've had a lot of moments of burnout and days of burnout, sometimes maybe like a week of just being really tired of things, but I'm thankful to have not gone through like multiple years of burnout. But at the same time, just because I wasn't like super upset about diabetes, there were definitely a lot of years where I just didn't really tend to it much. I just kind of let it run in the background. It was really easy to not pay close attention to diabetes when there were no CGMs, like out of sight, out of mind, who knows what my blood sugar was. Um, and I remember like being in the car when I was little and my mom being like, oh, what's your blood sugar? Like you need to check. And I would just like blurt out a number. Like I'd fake test my blood sugar and be like, I'm 130. Um, and that was probably a little bit of burnout, I guess you could say, just not wanting to actually do it. And with the pump, I think I got lazy at times where I would just not put in all the numbers that need to be put in, stuff like that. But um, how I deal with it now is, number one, I stop looking at diabetes social media, which is funny because that's like what I do for work but I really like I have separate accounts where I like have my personal life friends um and I don't really follow diabetes accounts on that because it can get really overwhelming and I don't need to see it all day every day and so I'll turn that off for a bit and I think that's also really important for parents because the community can be great but it can also be really overwhelming um and I will just give myself a little grace with diabetes let things run a little bit more in the background do what I need to do but if I go a little high don't stress over it as much. Like there's some days where I start to go up and I'm like, we're going to get more insulin right this second. We're going to go for a walk right now. We're going to get up and do some squats. But when I'm feeling burned out, it's not the time to do that. It's okay to just let it go for a bit because realistically, it's not normal to have to do what we do every single day. And it's really unrealistic to think that we can always be 100% in with diabetes like we don't do that with any other part of our lives like we have ups and downs with everything and so why would we expect to be able to do it all the time with diabetes but yeah, yeah. what about you Amanda well it's interesting as you're like talking about how you manage it and stuff I'm thinking oh yeah I guess I do that too it's just in a different way mm -hmm. um one of the things that helped me the most was when I finally like when I started working with you and then I like dove in and created the Amanda T1 Mama social media page, yeah. that 
was so that like if I needed to be tagged or if people in the diabetes community wanted to reach out to me specifically, they could go mm-hmm. to that profile because I like I wish I could be friends in person with every single one of you and so many of you feel truly like friends. But there is like the part of me that needs to maintain my my very small private page, like the page that I very first made to even like get yes. back onto social media. And once I created the Amanda T1 Mama page and um, started posting to type one together frequently and just like was part of the team in that way, I ended up unfollowing every single diabetes everyone on my personal page. So I have like gotten into this place now where when I'm on my phone and doing like work on Instagram, I show up to answer comments, to post, to, Mm -hmm. uh, answer dms and then otherwise i like switch over to my personal profile where i see no diabetes anything and i just like can escape it that way because it was getting to be too much so that's an interesting point and maybe something to consider doing if you feel overwhelmed every time you go online and you Mm -hmm. really just need to go online to like for you know certain diabetes content now and again you could make a separate page for that um The other thing is like, I am very fortunate to be in a equal partnership. And I recognize that that's, um, that I'm very lucky, you know? And so I rely heavily on my husband. I ask him very often to take over. I'm very open with him about like, I've reached my limit today. And then we're also very, very lucky to live close to my parents who are more than willing to help. And not only that, like for a while we felt guilty and like we were taking advantage of them. And my mom especially has been like so nice and reassuring and kind of has like beaten it into our heads that she like it like gives her life it fills her cup to watch our kids yeah. and we're like what do you mean because we're drained at the end of the yeah. day but we're finally like accepting that and so really uh reaching out to her whenever we need with no expectation that she says yes every time but just with the opportunity and so that's helped a lot too but I know that a lot of families like don't have that kind of extended support Yes. So, yeah. One other thing, too, I want to add about the social media community thing is I feel the need, and it sounds like you do sometimes, too, to separate yourselves from the diabetes space because we're very immersed in it all the time. But I also think, thinking back to my past, finding community could also be what I needed in burnout. So it can go either way. Mm. And if you can find a friend, like a type one parent friend that is genuinely someone that you would hang out with without diabetes, but then their kid also happens to have diabetes. I find that to be the most healing thing when I can be with my friends who are genuinely my friends and I'm not going to be friends with every single person just because they have diabetes. Like it doesn't have to be that way, (laughs) but the people that are there that we talk about normal life with, but that they also understand the diabetes side. And then I don't have to like, socially think about what I'm doing when I have to go eat something or whatever even though it doesn't matter we do what we have to do it's still something that we have to think through 
and we have to yes. be aware of and we have to know that they might ask questions or be confused why we're doing something and to just be around people who just get it I've also found to be really healing so yeah Honestly, I encourage people yeah. to find that that is so true. The, shout out to my very first ever fellow type one mom, Caitlin. We mm. found each other uh, because we have a mutual friend, but she lives straight across the country. I've never met her in person and oh, we yeah. will randomly text or call each other or FaceTime or send voice messages. And I genuinely am like, I miss you. I don't know oh. you, not in person, <laughs> but I miss you. And we met yeah, before I was even on, on social media. I don't know. It's been a long time, though. Um, yeah. And so Caitlin, I would for sure be your friend outside of <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And we are – I know a lot of families ask, like, well, I can't find anyone near me. We're working on something for that that will hopefully help. But definitely if there are local events around you, it can be so worth it to just go even just to find other yeah. people. Good call. All right. My question that somebody asked, this was a, a while ago. I went deep in the archives, you guys, mm-hmm. is do you ever worry about your daughter's weight and her relationship with food? And I kind of feel mm-hmm. like we have touched on this. Like we have a whole episode dedicated to like weight and food relationships and stuff. And so if you haven't listened to that one, we encourage you to go check that out because we went pretty, pretty raw and deep in that episode. But, um, I would be lying if I said, no, I don't worry about my daughter's weight, but that comes from a place of like worrying about her gaining the amount of weight that then puts immense amount of pressure on her internal organs. When it comes to worrying about her potential weight gain in the future, for like looks, no, I'm not worried about that at all. Um, it's such a touchy and challenging topic to discuss and be open about. Um, I know that one, it's so weird too talking about this in regards to a four year old girl. Like, as a young child, I'm not worried about it at all. I know what a balanced and healthy diet looks like. I do my best to offer those options to her. Otherwise I focus on just feeding her because she needs food (laughs) and we get outside and we play and I just let her be a kid. And I'm really not thinking about it at all. Um, Her relationship with food is what I am the most concerned about her relationship with her food and her body in terms of loving her body and trusting her body and not constantly seeking model skinny as like the look because it's just so toxic. And I grew up seeking that out for myself. And I think so many of us did being, you know, raised in the eighties, nineties and early, early 2010s or early 2000s. And maybe even now, I don't know. She's not a teenager yet, so I don't know. But uh, the relationship with food, I worry about constantly. And we try really hard to um, make sure our language sounds a lot like listen to your body, eat until you're full. Um, 
you know, fat and protein help help you stay fuller for longer. Greens and vegetables help your body work the way they should. And also being like, oh, isn't this ice cream just so delicious and not, it was actually my pediatrician who said, don't refer to sweets as treats, just call them sweets. Because like the verbiage of treat implies that you shouldn't be having it, but you're like being bad and sneaky or whatever. It's a, it's a very subtle implication. And even if you don't mean it over the course of a lifetime, it can develop into like such a negative connotation, you know? Um, so there's all that. And then we try really hard not to be like, say like, good job. You ate everything, which is so hard. Like it'll slip out of my my mouth all the time. But then it's like, we're praising her for finishing food. And then in the same breath, society talks about like staying thin and healthy And then there's also us being like, listen to your body. So it's just like, Mm -hmm. we're trying to be really consistent with how we speak about food. Um, So yeah, that's my answer to that. Do you have anything to say on it? Um, I won't go into everything that I already shared in the other episode because I talked a lot about my journey with food there. Um, I think something else we need to look at is our relationship to insulin. Like that's one that Mm. I'm constantly battling with and then leads to your relationship with body because, you know, there's a lot out there online about insulin causing weight gain. And then if you get into the whole diabulimia category, it's all about like keeping your insulin low so that you're not gaining weight and all that. So that can get really scary. Um, So I've been trying to focus on being a healthy person overall and that includes being insulin sensitive and like focusing my energy there Um, and then at the same time always giving myself the amount of insulin that I need so I think just building that with your kids can be really helpful too and having them understand that you can live a long healthy life with diabetes but it is not good for you to not take your insulin you know so yeah that's a whole nother topic and maybe we can have someone on eventually to talk about diabulimia and Mm -hmm. Um, just all of that I think it's really important because there were times where I was like googling about insulin and weight gain and stuff as a teenager so and I've heard like kids talking about it at events and just wild things happening so um, yeah but I think that's all I'm going to say on that for now I think you covered everything really well that also sorry really fast though made me think about the verbiage surrounding blood sugar numbers like Hattie will already ask us what's this number again? Cause she's really starting to understand the concepts of numbers or the concept yeah. of numbers. And we'll say like recently we said, Oh, it's two twenty, And she goes, is that good or bad? And we're like, Ooh, Ooh, we yeah. must like, how did she learn that? Like, even though we mm-hmm. really try hard to avoid that, we must say that enough for her to pick up on it and, like, yeah. oh, it's not good or bad. It's just above your target range, which isn't a big deal. It just means you need a little more insulin or we can go on a walk or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that also plays into weight gain, body image, relationship with food, relationship yes. with insulin, relationship with yourself. So that's uh, such a hard one. And that could be a whole episode too, just about the language, because 
I agree. You shouldn't make numbers good or bad. But I also hate that a lot of people, I feel like growing up, we're just like, or the doctors or whatever. We're just like, oh, it's fine to be 250 all day. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you a bad person. But at the same time, there's like some honesty there of like, well, this isn't healthy for your body. I don't know. It's just so confusing for me. And like one of the things that I don't know how I would handle as a parent. Um, yeah. I think that's it's a whole conversation. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things where it's like, it's not the healthiest for your body. And, you know, hang on one second. Sorry. <laughs> um, hang on. Okay. Sorry, everybody. This is, um, we're leaving this in because this is so classic and it's appropriate for a diabetes podcast. I just started panicking because through the sugar me app, I can see my daughter's blood sugar level on my computer screen, like at the top bar. And I saw that she was dropping fast and I knew they were out on the playground, but I chose not to text her teachers mainly because we were like in the middle of recording and they're so good and on top of it usually but it was like a down 25 down 20 down 17 down 18 like and all of a sudden I looked up and I was like oh my gosh she is 60 double arrows down and had just dropped like 15 points and so I had to pause and text her teacher to make sure and her teacher was not responding which we are very lucky means that her teacher is on top of it. Her teacher, typically, if she's not responding, it's because she's in the middle of treating low, finger pricking, making her sit down, and then she gets to her phone. And so I would so much rather that than a teacher first text me. It's like, no, save my kid first and then text me. So uh, Brie, I don't think you will listen to this because I would never ask you to listen to this, but you are literally my favorite person and you save our baby's life every day. So thank you. Um, anyway, that was a weird moment of panic. She, Hattie. So, okay. We talked about vitamin D and how it increases insulin sensitivity and everything. And now it's been like three weeks that we've been on it and Ooh, baby, she is way more insulin sensitive than she has ever been. Wow. So we definitely, I think you did a reel or a story on this, Raquel, maybe on your personal page. I don't know where you're like, the yeah. great thing about becoming more insulin sensitive is, yay, you get to stay more in range. But the bad thing is like, crap, now I have to redo all these carb ratios and all the settings on her pub phone and stuff. So yes. And it can change so fast. Yeah. Um, okay. That's that's it. I forget what I was talking about before. I don't think it's all that important. We can move on to the next okay. question. Is it my turn, I think? Um, yeah, your turn. How often do you change your carb ratios and how many different ratios do you have? You go for this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, I haven't, I changed my basal rates the other day, but I changed my correction or no, wait. No, I, I haven't changed my carb ratios in forever, but that's because I'm not the biggest on counting carbs. But even lately when I have been counting carbs, they seem to be working. So I just leave them. Nice. So I don't have a good, like, helpful answer for this. But well, I think I have three different ones throughout the day, I want to say. Two or three. I'm yeah. more insulin resistant in the morning like most people. So it's definitely stronger in the morning. When you change your basils, is that for whenever you go out of control IQ and into 
tandem's manual mode or no it still uses your personal profile to like give basil throughout the day and it like uses that information to um like it'll still raise and lower basils based on what's happening in the moment but it generally will use that as information for wait does tandem pause basils yes at all for you like control Mm -hmm. iq will stop deliver okay yeah Um, but I changed mine yesterday because I've been noticing there's always a a little spike for me in the morning, but I specifically was like waking up at like 130, 140, which is like fine, but I used to wake up at like 90. And so I was like, what's going on? So I raised it at 5 a.m. So when I wake up around like seven to eight, I'm in range and today I woke up at 93. Heck yeah, girl. That intuition. We have four four, maybe five different carb ratios. We have a breakfast that um, works between the hours of 7 and 10 a.m. And then we have a lunchtime that works between 10 and 3. And then we have a dinner time that works between 3 and 7. And then we have a late night snack time, which is between seven and midnight. And the reason for that is she has different like levels of insulin sensitivity throughout the day. So over the course of the day, she needs less and less insulin until late nighttime when she has fallen asleep. And so we rarely use the insulin to carb ratio for the seven to 10 or seven to midnight. Um, profile that's there but on the off chance she barely ate dinner and then she is starving at you know 8 30 and we bring her a plate or snack plate or whatever give her chocolate milk if we dose her just her normal dinner dose she has a cup of chocolate milk falls asleep she is gonna go to 300 and just sit there because she's so um like the growth hormone spike is so strong yeah. Uh, so that's what works for us. And then I change them on average every month or couple months because she's growing constantly. So her needs are constantly changing and I don't make huge changes. It's never like a one to 10 ratio at breakfast suddenly becomes a one to five or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, we teeter by going just up one or two and down one or two. Um, so that's what we do and correction factor. Uh, I don't change all that often unless I'm noticing that when she is high and flat, like steady, she's 250 steady and she's not moving. I go in and give a correction Mm -hmm. and she just sits there or rises then I know that correction factor is no longer working. She needs something stronger. So I'll change it in that moment. And yeah, that's what I do. Did that answer everything? I think so. Cool. Next question. Um, when does it become obvious that the honeymoon stage is over? <laughs> I don't Did, even think I honeymooned. So I don't That's so interesting to me. I wonder if you did honeymoon, but like, they just didn't call it that or you guys didn't know that because yeah, you weren't in DKA. 
That's actually true. I should ask my mom. <laughs> yeah, I'm so curious. Um, but I don't think it was a yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything to say necessarily on this question. Yeah. We didn't honeymoon either, but from what I have gathered and the things that I've seen, my assumption would be when the honeymoon stage is over, it means your body is no longer making its own um, insulin at all. And so you're suddenly going to see a very swift change where you are super insulin resistant, it seems. You're sugars are high they skyrocket like something as small as one raspberry is going to raise your blood sugar like it never has before um your carb ratios that were working last week are not working at all this week your correction factors that were working aren't working at all um yeah and if you're on a pump then you can see your total daily insulin each day and it the needs might be drastically different so yeah actually that makes me think of one of the people we're working with right now in our better together coaching program who's less than a month I think in and they were saying they're seeing a lot of lows and I think that's much more common when you're honeymooning because you're giving insulin and you don't know what else the body's already doing on its own but then I predict that once they're not honeymooning they're going to struggle a lot more with highs and then have to figure out oh we actually need a lot more insulin so that might be one way to like you'll clearly see the switch happening there yeah maybe yeah that's that's what i have to say about it if uh any of you who are listening have gone through the honeymoon stage and we got that wrong or you want to add any information to that please dm us and we'll make sure it gets out to the community Mm -hmm. all right next question do you calculate insulin for high fat high protein meals or meat i think I don't know if they meant to say meals, but either way, that doesn't have that many carbs. So, yes, a lot of the time you do need insulin for high protein, high fat meals, but I don't have like a way that I do this specifically. I think what I do in reality is I just kind of see what my starting number is. And if I'm already higher, like I'm going to be giving some insulin anyways and knowing that I'm eating, I might bump that up a bit. Um, This is a tricky one, though, because some days like I will have high protein, low carb breakfast and I don't spike at all. I think for me also depends what phase of my cycle that I'm in that really comes into play when you're a little bit older. Um, But maybe you have a more strategic way of doing it. I don't have a strategic way of doing it. It would be so nice if you could like weigh your protein or fat and have, you know, its own version of a carb count, quote unquote, but not, there isn't a way that I'm aware of. If again, anyone's listening, they know of a way to like count that out and dose for it appropriately, let us know. Um, but I use context clues. What's starting blood sugar? What's the direction of the arrow? How much exercise has she had recently? Did she go to the trampoline park yesterday? She's probably going to be like, you know, on the lower end today. And we likely don't need insulin for this piece of chicken or whatever. But one thing for that, like, was not explained to me in the beginning that I wish was is all food, regardless of if it's a fat, a protein or a carb, eventually 
gets broken down to be a form of glucose that can be used in the body as fuel for your cells. And so you're going to see a slight uptick in blood sugar regardless at some point in the future once like the digestion process has completed. And so a lot of people um, actually in our super parents group, there's a question in there. I have yet to get to it, but saying like, oh, I give my kid milk at night because that's what so many of us do. And then they spike and they're 250 or 300 all night long. And it's because milk, especially whole milk, has so much fat and protein in it along with the carbs. So you dose for the carbs at the beginning. Yeah. Or your endo tells you that it's okay to have 15 free carbs at night. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Whatever. And then all night long, after the carbs have easily been taken up by the body, then that fat and protein from the milk is being digested, especially it's in a liquid form. So it's easier and faster to digest. And then it's like little by little, the blood sugar is just going to go up and stay up, baby. So um, one person has told us with milk specifically that their endo suggested dosing double. So if you're giving 15 grams worth of whole milk dose for 30, that's not something I personally would do because I know from experience and trial and error with my kid that that would be likely too much, but I would maybe toy with doing 18 grams to start, then 20 grams to start. This is not medical advice. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting because I've been using whole milk in my coffee and I always spike from coffee. So I am aggressive anyways, but now I'm wondering if Part of that is also the milk. Yeah. Maybe. Could be. All righty. Next one is pod advice for littles, like basically changing any any sites. We've covered this here and there, and it's kind of just been sporadic. Um, But I thought it'd be a good one to touch on again, especially because we have new followers and new listeners. Um, My biggest piece of advice is find the adhesive remover that works the best for you. We can put in the show notes the adhesive remover that works the best for our family, but a lot of people swear by Unisolve, the like orange stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Skin Grip just came out with a new adhesive remover. Um, but yeah, we use medical grade adhesive remover. We call it the blue stuff because it's blue. <laughs> And we soak the um, like adhesive part of all of her devices and let her get in the bath so that she can kind of rinse off how like slimy it is once she's taking a bath. And she peels it right off. That changed everything for us because the removal process can hurt a lot. You know, like kids. Yeah. yeah, Kids like freak. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, Dexcom, it like... I would guess, and what I've seen as I peel it off Hattie's body, is it almost becomes one with your skin after 10 yes, days. Literally. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a big thing. Another thing we did early on was I used YouTube and shows, and um, mainly YouTube. I found this family. I don't know who they are. I should search for them on Instagram too, but they have twin girls, young twin girls who are both type ones. Mm. And they put a video on YouTube of them changing their pumps, their Omnipods. And you can like hear the clicking and they kind of hold each other and they both like blink and they're like, yay, we did it. 
And so, so Hattie watched that every single pump change for like four months straight. Wow. Um, we also in the past have used Zolly Pops. They are mm-hmm. sugar-free lollipops. You can get like a bucket of them on Amazon. We have them on our Amazon storefront. And so it would be like a special thing. Like you get a lollipop. Um, and what else? Oh, I cover the pod with my hand or with a blanket to muffle the sound of the clicking. I always pinch the skin up um, to make sure it goes into fat because if it pierces muscle or anything else, especially on our super skinny kids, um, it can be really painful. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's that maybe investing in diabetes or patches or whatever stuffed animals so that the real young kids can have a friend in person do it with them yes so fun do you have any thoughts no (laughs) since I'm not a pod girl um but I do agree that taking it off can be like with all the years I babysat for kids with Omnipod that was always the hardest thing really just with any site it hurts to take it off so yeah that is huge um do you want to do one more question no you got it okay this is the last one I think uh how to deal with a resentful 10 year old parents are going through a messy divorce and diabetes is bad I'm sorry (laughs) I'm sorry too I'm trying to collect Uh, like what I could even say about this one well my parents are divorced so I did go through that but I don't remember a ton from that time. I was close to that age, I believe. Uh, One thing I am thinking about is when you say diabetes is bad, I'm assuming it's like there's a lot of swings. It feels very out of control. None of it makes sense. And that to me is a direct reflection of the emotions that your family and your child might be going through. And like heartache and stress and adrenaline all contribute to blood sugars. And so I think like having as much open communication as possible without uh, being so open that it becomes like a burden for your child, your 10 year old to like hear the details, but just open communication in terms of this is so hard like what you're feeling is valid. You are, you can always talk to me about anything, you know, and, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what to say about like the diabetes management of that well, all think, other. Yeah. It's really helpful when you feel seen as a type one, like you feel like your family and people around you are not just telling you what to do, telling you what you should be doing better, all of that. And, I think I had a very supportive family that was always lifting me up and validating that like I was strong and like I don't want to say like praise your type one kids a lot but at the same time when you're doing it alone especially when you're at that age like maybe you kind of want to do it alone but at the same time you're like oh no one understands what this is like no one even notices that I'm doing all this crap all day long so for any parent out there regardless of the age of the child and what the situation is like just reminding your kids that you see what they're doing. You see they're doing such a great job. Um, Like I've seen a lot of families have success with like filling a marble jar. I think we've talked about this. And like once, you know, they fill it up, the kid gets to like 
I babysat for this one girl who like wanted to dye her hair purple, like just like something fun where it's um, obviously not food related treat, as we said, but um, just bringing positivity to it, I think is okay because it's so hard. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be reminded that people are seeing the hard work that you're putting in and they're acknowledging that you don't get to live like everyone else, I guess, if that makes sense. I think that can be really powerful in any family. Yeah. I agree. That's a good one. Um, I do have, we've got five minutes, so I do want to go into the last question I have, which is how do you stay positive on roller coaster days? Mm. I think this is, this also could be its own whole episode that we could like really dive into, but it's hard. I, I, I stay positive really easily after like roller coaster, from like a meal or two, but if it's like days and days of roller coasters, it definitely starts to consume me. I like become obsessed with figuring out how to tweak everything. I am more short tempered. I like just have less patience with my kids who are just being kids, you know? And so I think that like recognizing that is really important and seeing that that's what's happening. And then like getting just pushing through as much as you can knowing that this is a short phase and like normal days will come eventually but while also doing things when you have the capacity to do things to make that happen faster so we like an example would be if we had really bad roller coaster days instead of just like there would, there'd be a day where I'd be like, I know I have enough energy to force us to go on a walk and like make it a game. Because a lot of the times my kids get home from school, they're tired. I believe in allowing kids to rest and whatever. Maybe that's just me telling myself that it's fine that I let them watch TV after school. (laughs) But like, you know, I will be like, okay, today instead we're going straight to the park and it's going to be so fun and we'll have a picnic and we'll like get out and do active things. And I'll be like really intentional about pre-bowl saying I'll be really intentional about packing very specific foods and just like getting off of the roller coaster because once you're off it and you have, you know, nice straight lines, it's easier to stay on it, on that. So what about you? How do you stay positive? <laughs> I agree. It is really, really challenging too. Um, I think the idea that diabetes is just going to diabetes sometimes <laughs> is helpful. Uh, it also is something I don't like when people use it as a crutch all the time because there is so much that we can do to help our blood sugars. But there are literally days where it's just going to do what it's going to do. And sometimes I just surrender to it. Like I'll be going high into the whatever. 200 300s and this rarely happens now but there are days where I'm just like f it I'm just gonna let it go up and then it'll come (laughs) down and then I mean I will give insulin you know but I just kind of like force myself to do every little possible thing that you can because I mentally can't handle it some days so realizing that there's so many factors outside of our control we don't know what's going on in our kids bodies or in our bodies at every second of every day how would we know that so don't blame yourself you know what I mean Mm -hmm. you can't know the perfect formula for blood sugar every single day so 
you just have to let it go. Like, I feel like you just don't have a choice sometimes. Yeah. And everything you said is spot on. Like, you just do what you can do on that day, depending on how you're feeling. And then you can be mad at diabetes and then it'll get better. Yeah. It will. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Those wise words. Wise words. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we got through a lot of questions. That was great. That was great. Blood sugar roll call. I'm looking at mine right now and I'm actually frustrated right now because I'm 202 and I shouldn't be 202. And I'm saying I shouldn't be because it, it's not that I shouldn't be. I worked out this morning and I took my pump off during that workout. It was a Pilates class and I was like 104 going into the class. And then afterwards I was 160. I gave insulin, but then I showered and then I had an occlusion alarm go off of my pump. And I don't even know if it's a real one or not, but it's just frustrating because I want to be able to work out because it's healthy for my body. But then sometimes it feels like it's not healthy for my body if it's going to cause my blood sugars to be all over the place. So mm-hmm. that's just a, another frustration I have. <laughs> so I'm going to let it go. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Uh, Hattie's 97, so we recovered from that low, and she yeah. never went below 50. Her teacher's Yay. a badass. Good job not um, freaking out. Like, I was I was panicking day. a little bit when we were paused. I was a little bit. I was a little bit panicking. Do. I was a little ready to cry, but I also was just trusting her teacher because she has proven herself time and time again that she cares so deeply for my child so he's amazing yay all right all right y'all we'll see you next week bye bye